0: of heights to the depths of the sea.
1: David took it. He subdued the Philistines. And notice that David didn't wait for the Philistines to attack Israel. They had attacked Israel before, but now David, after hearing these promises of God, it's like he's just vibrating with excitement. Every creature's unique
0: everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Who is told every where it go? The Philistines had troubled Israel for centuries and they often dominated the people of God. In the reign of David, he both attacked and subdued these troublesome enemies. David didn't avoid fighting the Philistines because Israel had lost to them so many times before. This complete victory was the utter contempt with which David treated the great power of his adversaries. When David became king, the Philistines were taking territory from God's people. Under David's leadership, God's people began to take territory from the enemy. Now here's Pastor Rob as he begins in chapter 8.
1: All right, let's open up to Second uh, Samuel chapter 8. Last week I wasn't with you. We, my family and I were camping and uh, we had a really great time. We didn't get eaten by any bears, so it was a especially good camping trip. And uh, But even being away one week, it seems like a long time. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but seriously, when I'm gone for even one service, I feel like it just it's really weird. So I'm glad to be here with you tonight, because I, I love to share the Word of God with all of you, and, and for us just to enjoy the Lord and enjoy His Word together. It's such a blessing. So if you remember, the last time we were together, we looked at... Second Samuel chapter seven. and chapter six, remember, was when God um, put upon David's heart to or, or David actually, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, now that he was king over Israel and Judah, the next thing for him really was to bring the very presence of God, or so you know it, for the Jews, the the Ark of the Covenant was a, a very symbolic, very important piece of. Um, furniture, if you will. I mean, it, it represented the very presence of God within it, the tables of the, the Ten Commandments and other things that were inside of it. But for David to have it finally in Jerusalem with him was just the capstone of his of his kingdom. And so it was very important for him to do that. And he finally brings it in, remember... Their first attempt wasn't so successful. They did it in the wrong way. They brought it in on a cart like the Philistines had sent the ark away from their cities after God had plagued them for stealing the ark. And it went through all the Philistine cities, the Pentapolis, the five cities, gave them plagues of of of, of boils and all kinds of awful things and plagues. And so finally David realizes that it... As they look into the word further, which is always a good thing to do, wouldn't you agree, to look into the word of God? Because <laughs> oftentimes when we're doing something wrong, we need to visit, revisit the word of God, because chances are it's, it's covered in God's word about what we're doing. And so David and the Levites, they finally realized that this shouldn't have come on a card. It should have come on the, on the shoulders of the Levites. So they finally bring it into Jerusalem, a great, great fanfare, a great moment in the history of Israel and certainly a great uh, memory for the, the people of Israel. Something they would never forget. And something that David would never forget. So he brings the ark in. And then immediately on the heels of that, God speaks to him. David goes in before the Lord. And the Lord gives him what we call the Davidic covenant. It's a covenant that God made to David. And so it's, it's a covenant about God... Go, God was going to use David and his seed, his descendants, and and, and and certainly God was speaking of Solomon. At the very least, he was talking about Solomon, but even more importantly, he was speaking of the one greater than all of them, the one who would be the seed of the woman. Who is who? Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. And through Solomon's reign, through the line of Judah, all the way down... Um. Through time, that Jesus would be born of the tribe of Judah. And certainly, Jesus would reign forever and ever. Solomon, you know, God's uh, covenant with David w- was this. And let me just read it to you. He says, I took you from the sheepfold. And this is chapter 7, beginning in verse uh, 8. He says, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all of your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, here is God's covenant with them. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and they will dwell in a place of their own, and they will move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all of your enemies. And also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, because it was David's heart to build God a house. And God is like, I, all the time that I was traveling around in the desert with the Jews, did I ever mention anything about having my own place? God, he, he, he who inhabits eternity, he who inhabits the heaven of heavens, who created all of it, he's like, I don't need any of that. Never asked for it. It's a great thought, David. I love your heart for it. But God says, I will build you a house, David. Not a physical house, although he was going to build him a physical house, but his house, his, his, his descendants after him. And certainly he was speaking of his son. Jesus Christ was not only his predecessor, but also his descendant of David. And ultimately through Jesus Christ... And we know that even yet in the future, as we look forward in the millennial reign, Jesus will reign on a throne in Jerusalem, fulfilling this promise that God had made to David that, and let me just read it to you. (laughs) He says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body, and of certainly he's speaking of Solomon specifically, and I will establish his kingdom. And notice, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And he goes on in verse 16, and he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And so, obviously, this is something that's going to endure forever. And we know that through Jesus Christ, it will endure forever. And David, as a response to that, goes in before the Lord, and he does what we ought to do, is give thanks to the Lord. You know, when God blesses us the way he blessed David or when he blesses us in any way, it's good for us to give thanks to him. That's really what worship is. God, God does something, and we respond to what he does, what he has said, what he's doing, or what he has done. We respond to that. He's always initiating. We are responding in praise and glory and admiration to him. Amen? That's really what it's all about. That's what worship is. It's not about me conjuring up something within myself of my own volition. No, I'm, I'm responding to what God has already done. Even if he did nothing else for us. Even if he did nothing else. If he bore the punishment of, of our sin on the cross and did not a single thing. Even if he didn't even send his spirit to indwell us. Even if he didn't come upon us in power at times. Even if he didn't give us the promises that he has given to us the great and precious promises, even if he didn't tell us that he was going to come and redeem us bodily from the earth in the rapture of the church, even if he didn't tell us of the glories to come, do you understand that if none of that was happened, but he solely died on the cross for our sin, we would be always indebted to him forever. And just for that one act of worship on the cross, it demands a response. It demands a response. You can't be lukewarm or you know, hotter. You, know, you can't be cold or somewhere in the middle. No, you, your, your heart is on fire when you think of that. When I think that he, he died on the cross for me and for you, sparing me from an eternal hell that I deserved. And by the way, all of you deserved it too, no offense. But we deserve that. And he says, No. But there's only one way that you can get to heaven, and that's through believing and trusting in my death on the cross to pay the price for your sin. And if we do that, we will be, we have the promise of eternal life. Is there any greater gift than that? And as a gift, what do you do when you receive a gift, and especially a gift like that? You give thanks. You give thanks. So that's what David does. He goes before the throne, and he gives thanks to God. A very... Right thing to do, a very reasonable thing to do, and so now we get into chapter eight, but chapter six and seven are probably, in my opinion, probably the best moments in david's life when he 's finally brought in he his toil of being chased after by Saul are, are have come to an end. Saul has passed from the scene now he 's got Israel and Judah, and everything is it, it's together it's it 's like the promises that God had given to him are coming to pass. And he's on fire. He's excited. And then God gives him this wonderful prophecy, this wonderful promise, the Davidic covenant. David is flying high. I think those were the best times because as we're going to see in a few chapters after tonight, we're going to see that his, his kingdom, his things are going to start to slow down a little bit. He's going to take a nosedive, but God's going to use it for his good. So after this giving of thanks, it says in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, after this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Mepheg-Ammah from the hand of the Philistines. Mepheg-Ammah, you can write above that, that's really nothing more than the city of Gath. Remember, Gath was the most significant of the Five um, cities of the Philistines. The other ones were Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Ashdod. They were all there on the eastern uh, or the western coast of, of Israel. And these were the five great cities of the the Philistines, but Gath was the greatest. And notice, David took it. He subdued the Philistines. And notice that David didn't wait for the Philistines to attack Israel. They had attacked Israel before, but now David, after hearing these promises of God, it's like he's just vibrating with excitement, thinking, you know what? God has called me. He's he's brought me to this place. He's told me what he's going to do, and I want to get after it. Have you been that excited when God tells you to do something? You're just you're like, okay, you've told me enough. Now I want to get put feet on the pavement. I want to get at it. And I would encourage you to find out what God has for you and get at it. Get at it. It may just be a being a witness in your workplace. It may be um, being a housewife and a mother, which is a great vocation, by the way. The greatest to be a mother and to be a homemaker. There's nothing wrong with those things. Or if you have a professional career, it doesn't matter. Be a light wherever you are. Do it as unto the Lord with all of your heart. Do it with all of your heart and get at it. Get at it. The time is slipping, slipping, slipping away. But David wasn't going to wait for the Philistines to attack. He was going to be proactive and go after them. He wasn't going to wait. And he was going to do something that hadn't been done up to this time everything that had been happening up to this point has been pro, you know reactive Saul being attacked by the Philistines, and then Saul going after them. But David is going to be proactive. He's going to continue to root out those peoples and those nations that God had ordained to be destroyed. Yes, a group of people and nations that God said they must be destroyed. And why? Is it because God is just some angry God who just can't wait to squash and judge people? No, quite the contrary. These people groups, these seven people groups were... were were groups that God had given hundreds of years to turn from their sin. You can go back to Genesis 15. And God told Abraham, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. But when it is full, I'm going to bring my people into that land, and I'm going to judge. I'm going to use my own people to judge those people. And guess what? God even used Gentiles to judge his own people. He did it with the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So no one is exempt from this kind of thing. But God says, these people, judgment must fall on them. And only God knows that line in the sand. And when you cross that line, he has a right. He has the right to bring judgment. Upon a nation, upon an individual. And you remember during the time of Joshua, when they first got into the promised land, they were supposed to root out all these people groups, these nations. And why? Because they were idolaters. They did untold, horrible things as they worshipped their gods, lowercase g, as they worshipped Molech, and as they worshipped you know, all the different gods, doing animal and, people and, and, and human sacrifices. Sexual sin rising to the top. Idolatry. And they never, never drove them out completely. There was always a remnant. And David now, he's like, you've given me all this, Lord, I'm going to get at this. I'm going to get at it. And so notice, he's proactive. He goes after the Philistines. And what, you know, what about the Philistines? Where did they come from? You can write in your Bible in the margin, just write in Genesis chapter 10. Verses 6 through 20. The Philistines were a non-Semitic people. A non-Semitic people. A Semitic people are people who came from the line of Shem, or Shemetic or Semitic. That's where we get the word. But they, remember, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The ones who the Jews came from, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they came through the line of Shem, but there was a people group, and people groups that came through the line of Ham that became idolatrous worshipers. They were among the Philistines. In fact, they came from the line of Ham, and then specifically through Mizraim, who was the sons of Ham, were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. And Mizraim begot Ludim, Animim, and Lahabim, Naphtulim, Pathrusim, and Casluhim. From whom came the Philistines and Kaphtorim? And then Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth. And then the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvite, and the Zemurite, and the Hamathite. Afterwards, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed, and they dwelt in that land in the western shores from when they left Crete. They settled, they tried to go down to Egypt, they got kicked out of Egypt, ultimately settled on the shores of Israel, there on the western shore. And these are the people. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter 7, what did God tell the people of Israel before they crossed over into the promised land? This is what he said to them. He says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, and he lists them. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, do these names ring a bell? They're the very people group that I just read for you in Genesis chapter 10. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. When, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show them no mercy." Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall give your you shall not excuse me. Give your daughter to their son, nor your take their daughter for your son. For they will. And here's the reason why. Does God have a reason for the things that He does? Yes. Sometimes, as a as a parent, you have to tell your son or daughter no, and you can't give them a really good answer. You just got a gut a, a gut feeling, and you say no. But why? Well, God tells why. And here's the reason that these people had to be destroyed. In verse 4 of Deuteronomy 7, For they will turn your sons away from following me. Notice what? To serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. So there's a reason that God wanted them to be destroyed. Because he gave them time to repent and they would not. And therefore they were ripe for judgment. And God didn't want his people to be destroyed, because if they fell into idolatry, which they did, history bears out that, right? That's the reason they went into the Assyrian captivity, the northern ten tribes in 722 B.C. That's why the the southern two tribes went into captivity to Babylon in 586. That's why it happened, because they didn't root it out. Even after David, we're going to find that sin slowly crept in, I think the time of David and Solomon were the, the, the golden days of the Davidic dynasty. Solomon's kingdom, I mean, Solomon at his apex was incredible. People from all over the world were coming to hear him. The Queen of Sheba and others, you know, they're just like hearing this man's wisdom and, and the things that he's learned, and God is just blessing this guy, not only with wisdom, but monetarily. He was blessing. He had the best of both worlds. He didn't ask for the money, but the money came because he wanted what was most important. And that was the wisdom to govern God's people. And God says, because you didn't ask for that, I'm going to give it all to you, David, or Solomon. But Solomon's wives came from other, these other areas, these other nations. They came from those nations, and what did they do? They began to serve their false gods. And Solomon began to get smitten by these gods, and he began to worship them himself. And then toward the latter part of his life, he realized what a mess he had made. And he repented. But it was a devastating thing for him and for the nation. So back in our text, too, so that's who the Philistines were. David was proactive going after them. And then notice what happened. And he defeated Moab. He defeated Moab. Moab was another. Remember, um, Moab and the the children of Ammon were the descendants of Lot. Remember Lot's incestuous relationship that he had with his two daughters after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. His daughters got him drunk, and they each had a child by their father. One was named Ben-Ami, or the children of Ammon, or Ammon, and the other one was Moab. Moab. So he defeated Moab, notice, forcing them to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured off those who were to be put to death and with one full line to keep those alive. And so the Moabites became David's servants and they brought tribute to him. In other words, they paid taxes to him. So two-thirds of the, the Moabite population of men were killed. Why? This is a way for David to assure that that generation is not going to come after him. It, it really it really, puts a, um, it really slows down the possibility of them rising up with many men to come after David. And David, remember, heard from the Lord, I'm going to establish you, and I'm going to give you all this land. And, and even in Solomon's reign, uh, Israel never obtained all the land that God had given to them. Never obtained all of it. They got close, but they never obtained it. And it's interesting that he would go against the Moabites because do you remember who was the famous Moabite in David's lineage? Ruth. Remember Ruth the Moabitess? Naomi's daughter-in-law? Ruth was a Moabitess. She was in the direct line, in the direct descent of Jesus. yes a Gentile woman, Ruth. So Ruth was David's great-grandmother. Can you imagine? My great-grandmother came from Moab. Now, for some reason, he goes against the Moabites. We don't know of all the skirmish and, and, and the reason for it. And remember, it was Moab that David, remember when he was on the run from Saul. Where did he take his mom and dad? He took them to the King of Moab because that's where his great-grandmother came from.
0: I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday at area code 585